0: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick Network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
1: We're in the stretch of 27 straight days with football, and right in the heart of this is the World Series. Here we go. OutKick 360, hour number two underway across the OutKick Network, live from 6th and Peabody. Beehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The entire crew is here and we're joined every week at this time. Michael McHenry joins us, former MLB catcher uh, for the Pirates, Rockies, Cardinals, Red Sox. I think I got them all. Uh, locally here uh, in the, the Nashville area down in Murfreesboro. Uh, played for the Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders and uh, now he's in broadcasting. Mike, how you doing, man?
2: I'm good. Thanks for the introduction and you nailed it. Okay. Very Nice. I didn't know
1: if there was was like a brief stay somewhere, like right before you got traded again or whatever. But you know, I wanted to be accurate with it.
2: Yeah, it was great. I did play for five teams in one year. That was interesting. (laughs) 2015 or 16, excuse me. Crazy. So,
1: what's the what's the closest you got to to winning? Like the, the 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 massive victory.
2: The massive victory. I mean, that's how I retired. I was in AAA and we won the AAA national championship. And I was always told, "You're only as good as your last game." That's right. So that was a cool way to end it. I was really the grandpa on the team. I called it the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, I, I had all these opt-outs. I thought about leaving. And I just loved the guys. I, I became more of a, I guess, a mentor to leadership. So that was winning for me. But probably the coolest season I ever had was in high school, 48-1. I know that sounds weird being a major leaguer, you know, getting to the pinnacle. Never really had anything getting to the World Series except the 2013 blackout game in Pittsburgh. They showed up. They blacked it out. Standing room only. Forty-eight thousand people in the rotunda. It was unreal. If you haven't seen it, I, I beg you, or urge you to go look at it on YouTube. It is an amazing game. Twenty years of losing, and then they showed up. And that's that's the way the city is. It's the way Nashville's been. If you win, fans show up, and that's what makes it special. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you're at. Or it's the family aspect, and those are the three huge memories I have. You're wearing a
3: drop Hick t-shirt. Is that the name, name of a place, or is that what you're urging your
2: town to do? I guess a little bit of both, but it's hockey season. They don't—they don't know anything about Hick unless that hockey stick made of it. So, <laughs> oh. absolutely, right now in Pittsburgh, they're not even thinking of that. But it's Old Hickory, um, Old Hickory back Company. I've been with them since I got drafted. They're very loyal, great people. Tennessee, and that's why I wore it. They sent it to me today, and I was like. Dropping heck, I love it. Bring so it on!
1: Work. Bring it on! We'll wrap it. Uh, Michael McHenry <laughs> with us, the Fort McHenry on Twitter. Um, big chance here for Bryce Harper. We know the storylines here, and now he's got a chance to win it. Uh, and the tear he's been on through the postseason. Put it. Explain now the game plan for Houston pitching him with the hot streak that he's on, and maybe you know the normal game plan heats up even a bit more based on just how accurate he's been swinging the bat.
2: I think the crazy thing for me, Hud, is how crazy he's been all year long. This is from Baseball Savant. It kind of shows they can't figure him out. They're not necessarily just throwing it right down the middle. You know, he's an inside-out approach guy. So what that means is he's going to work so far inside the ball that he usually runs out of bat away. That's not been happening this year. He's crushing the ball opposite field. You see all those balls that they're trying to get it out there so he runs out of bat, but he's not running out of bat. As good as he is staying inside of it, I used to say, this guy can stay inside a bullet and you can get him out of the way if it's running away from him. Now his approach has changed. He's grown up. He's 30 years old. He was the phenom, the prodigal son of baseball, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, everywhere at 15. He's lived up to it. I mean, the owner literally hugged him and said, I don't think I paid you enough. I underpaid you, Bryce. And that's true. If you look at his analytics, put it all together, his value has been remarkable. And let's not forget, UCL tear, wrist surgery, leadership and he's playing like he's eight years old in little league it's so fun to watch i've seen this guy grow up from the the little kid that had a little too much uh ego took some humble pie and then really has become something really special and could potentially be the face of baseball moving forward because he has that type of personality
4: let's stick with the phillies a guy i've always enjoyed watching is jt real muto and uh, you played catcher in the major leagues michael would you say that his athletic ability and ability to steal bases may be a little bit different from yours in your playing days? What does that mean? I'm just <laughs> Do asking Does that look question. like I'm built for speed? I, I didn't want to infer anything. I'm just simply Chad's asking honest. the question. Is is he yeah, built yeah, absolutely. a little bit different than you in terms of athleticism?
2: Yes. Yeah, so
4: let's just say he'd be running the
2: out route down the field, catching the ball with the 38-inch vertical, showing out the combine. I'm the guy that just needs to get under the bench press. So <laughs> I, I get you there. And the reality of it is, is – He's changing the game behind the plate. I think he's done a remarkable job of going from a negative 25 with run value, with receiving, to one of the best receivers in the game. He's one of the best blockers in the game. He is the best thrower. And, oh, yeah, let's just throw out he has an inside at the park home run in the postseason, and he stole 20 bags, hit 20 homers. Last person that did that was one of my all-time favorites, Pudge Rodriguez. It's special what he's doing. I love that he gets to be able to highlight it. He does it year in, year out. With all the offensive numbers going down, especially at premium positions, this guy has gotten better and better and better, and he's still in his prime. What,
3: um, how do the Astros construct a bullpen that's all right-handed, and how, how does that work so well for him? I heard through the very brief series that I got to watch against the Yankees that all these righties are, are simply really good against lefties. Is, is it that simple?
2: Yeah, it's actually something that I wish they would have found out sooner. My career would have been a little bit better because I used to pitch hit against every lefty. I was a career like 200 hitter against most lefties. If they didn't throw hard, I had a hard time with it. Now the numbers tell the story. So you look at this right here. This is you know in the postseason. But these guys have been good year after year after year. They've thought outside the box. They've really been creative and they've enhanced each guy. I mean, Verlander's a great example. That guy on the screen, <laughs> Presley has been absolutely dominant, but he's. A great example, of a guy that gets lefties out. The curveball is an incredible pitch, gets underneath that barrel, below the zone to lefties, and they have a hard time hitting it. So sometimes these lefties are coming up. It's better that they're seeing a righty that's balls breaking into them. Just talked about Harper. The lefty right now, he's going to throw it out away from him with the breaking ball everything else. The righty can cut him off with that inside-out approach. So you kind of look at the matchups. Who's going to maybe match up here? What are you looking for? If you're looking for a ground ball, you may do something a little bit different. But when they changed the rule to you have to get three outs or face three hitters, that changed the game. They had to look at it different, and that's really helped Houston in this scenario.
3: Did they did they figure that out after they had good righties and say, "Hey, we could survive this," or or did it go the, the other way, like um, we we can let's get righties, we can make it work with righties, and value lefties are maybe overvalued.
2: I mean, you've been around professional sports long enough. You know they pat themselves on the back that they were on the forefront. They did it themselves. The reality is they have really good players. They have really good advanced teams and analytic department that brings this stuff down. They use technology well. But if the players don't own it, it doesn't matter. So the reality of it is all those guys have gotten better against lefties too. So you got to give ownership to the guys, say great job, the, all the departments that are working there. But I guarantee if you ask them, we worked really hard – be ahead of times, you know, the same speech, same song and dance. And I hate it that way. It should maybe think about it and say, yeah, we just worked really hard and it worked out really well.
1: Michael McHenry, our guest, Uh, from the analytics standpoint, you know, I hear about the Astros and what they do behind the scenes and I'm thinking, man, there must be a stack of information, right? And I'm sure they go through, uh, you know, they kill a tree like I do every day on the show. (laughs) Um, But when it actually gets down to the player, How is it simplified or is it? Is it just because too much information can be overload and you're not really retaining anything? How is that relayed to the player organization to organization? And based on who you were playing with, who did it best?
2: You know, the best way to describe it is when I first got out of Pro Bowl and I was really learning all the analytics, diving in with just a bunch of nerds. Honestly, like I loved it. You know, I didn't realize how cool it was, how much it could enhance my career. Well, I started telling kids this stuff. And like, hey, this is how it could benefit you. The eyes gloss over. They have no clue what's happening. So I had to rethink that. That's what these teams are doing. The best teams are empowering and giving suggestions. Here's a suggestion of what we see. Take it, see what's in front of you. How's the movement on the pitches? All these different elements that's within the game, in the game. So you have weather, you have ballpark, you have situations. Are you feeling good? Something going on at home? That's only for you to answer. So if you can be a good self, regulator and understand what you need like bryce harper he's making old school adjustments going oppo not trying to do too much taking what they're giving him not trying to leave the yard except when he maybe has that opportunity he's doing a lot of the old school things it doesn't really pay as much attention to analytics maybe that's why his numbers from 19 on have been so much better he could have been overwhelmed he's he's an oddity these guys have an extreme talent you just say how can i serve you sir and you let them do their thing and that's the reality that all these coaches need to do in front offices. How can you serve your best players and how can you enhance the players that you want around to build the great culture?
1: The fort is with us, Michael McHenry on outkick three hundred and sixty. Um And then, you know, then there's just standing in the box and taking a 99 mile per hour fastball. Uh, compare last year's postseason to this one with the amount of heat that's being thrown from the mound.
2: I mean, where does it stop is the reality for me. I mean, you you can go on Twitter right now and they 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 call it hitting Twitter, pitching Twitter. There's people doing handstands, flips, and throwing a hundred and five with a four-ounce ball, three ounce ball. They're training for velocity. Velocity gets you in the door. It's like, it's like trying to get the the pretty girl in school to see you. You know, you get all done up, you look good, whatnot. She doesn't know you're a complete jerk and you have no chance sticking this out, but you just want in the door, that's what velocity's become. Now we're starting to see more pitchability. Wainwright just signing back is a great example One of the best guys on the planet in baseball. He he kind of resurrected his career, did things different based on movement. The old Maddox approach is like, I want to get it to move more instead of, you know, trying to blow you know, gas. Because he could easily probably still throw 94, 95 if he trains that way. But what would he sacrifice? What's impressive this year is Wheeler with his location – You know, Nola tonight, being able to flip in a breaking ball and then back it up at 96, you have a 20-mile-an-hour difference. That's what's crazy to me, and they're using these reports and understanding and attacking properly.
4: Of all the teams reported for Aaron Judge that's going to be in the mix, what is the best fit from a baseball standpoint for Judge of where he should go?
2: Yankees. I mean, no doubt in my mind. Like I don't think he would have beat that record if he wasn't a Yankee. I don't think he'd be the same person. I think the the aura he's created, the legacy he's created there, they tried to use that to their advantage early on. Like, oh, you know, we're going to kind of push this down the road. He wanted to get it done. So that's where I think he's going to be. But I heard an interview the other day, and he has a chip on his shoulder. He's pissed. He's going to make them, you know, bring out that pocketbook. And it's going to be years in length. Because of his injury history, is my guess, or deferred money, and to be honest, the Dodgers and San Fran are going to go after him so hard. Mookie Betts already saying he'd move to second base. Big deal. They have a lot of money coming off the books. So those are the three teams I see that could do it. And there's always an outlier. There's always an outlier because you you have these teams like Seattle that could throw fifty million dollars at him one year, next year, and then defer and defer and defer, sign him to uh, a deal like. The twin shortstop, Correa. You know, it's two years, and then it's an option.
3: Dusty Baker's managed for 25 years. He's gone to two World Series. He's lost them both. He never would have had this job but for a scandal that forced them to go out and find a nice, uh, easy solution to a, a big problem, and he inherited a, a remarkably good team. The the announcers wax about this guy like he's the greatest manager in the history of the game. How good a manager is?
2: He? He's a great person. How good of a manager he is, I have no clue. And the reason why I say that is because I don't even know if he's managing the team. He's overseeing the dugout. He's in the meetings. He's giving his suggestions. But I know one or two really strong things about Dusty Baker. He fights for his guys. He's been fired for it. He got fired in 13 from Cincinnati for sticking up for a hitting coach or something. The rumor has it. He stuck up for Barry Bonds recently. Didn't go back. It'd be easy for him just to wipe his hands. I respect him. He came up to me when I was a rookie at a steakhouse and gave me advice. And I'll never forget it. And that, that that's why he's there. He's there the same way Bochi just went to Texas. He's there as a staple, a face. And like you just said, Paul, the reality of like, it's the best solution right now. And he gives the old school take. I think that balance is so important. Old school, new school, let's mix it. They already had the new school. They got in trouble with it. Now they bring in the old school, a guy that's liked around the league, and that will fight for his guys. If you saw him dance, too, that probably made his pay go up at least.
4: Why does he wear the gloves? Do we know? Is it like a Howie Mandel thing? Have you noticed he wears the black surgical gloves during games? Is this a COVID fear thing? What, What happened with that? Do you have any idea? I,
2: I, no, I, I used to love the wristbands. Now, now, now it's like yeah. maybe it's a good luck charm. I'm not sure. He just hasn't taken it off. He looks but like man, a food I'd prep like worker. Like-
4: yeah, like when he's playing, when he's <laughs> managing the team, like he's putting yeah, this. I like he, like he's some gonna some put his hands bucks. in some
3: pulled pork. He makes a guy and, a sandwich. <laughs> and turn up for something. That's is what how he's doing. that's how nice a guy is, Chad. He makes guys yeah, sandwiches I, on I demand.
4: Just, I saw them. Like, is it a germaphobe thing? I, I but it, I feel like it started recently. So. I'm not sure, but maybe I'm the only one thinking that when I see him, but I, I thought you may know, being an inside baseball guy. Apparently not.
2: Well, Chad, maybe we can get some stuff together, send him some gloves and some pulled pork with some barbecue sauce, <laughs> yeah. and and say, Tell- hey, like, just, just want to give you a heads up. Tennessee's got really good barbecue. I'll take it to him. So you should play with this.
4: Text someone <laughs> that, that you've played with that's in the Astros organization, and please come back with an answer next week for us on why why the gloves with Dusty Baker. I'd love to know.
2: All right, I'll reach out to somebody. I'll see if I can find out. That... that is different. I almost don't notice it anymore because he's literally been doing it for two years, huh? huh.
1: Michael McHenry, our guest, um, who's the the outside difference maker, X-Factor, in this series?
2: The middle relief for Philadelphia is the X-Factor. And the reason I say that is they've been riding a high. I mean, a really, really strong high. And I don't know how long they can withstand it. There's been some adjustments with Alvarado. Robinson's back. He got to close that game the other day. That, that was a huge, huge blessing for Philadelphia. But those are the things. And I'm going to go back to Philadelphia because I think Houston's just a better team all around. They don't look like they have a lot of holes. And if they start out hot, it's really tough to stop them. But if you look around Bryce Harper, we just saw with the Yankees. If those guys don't hit around him and don't don't bring some pressure, Harper's gonna get nothing. Absolutely nothing to hit. They're gonna let him take his walk. And the Astros may do it a different way than most because they've kind of been able to game plan a little bit longer than other teams. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited to see this series. I'm excited to see Harper get on the big stage again and see what happens.
1: You think this is a, a great series, or do you think it's a short one?
2: It's gonna be unpredictable, in my, in my opinion, because of how how Phillies come together. They, they always said that city just went off and, and I forgot when they were in the playoffs and how good they were when I was playing with, with Lee and Hamels and, and all those guys. And they were, they were dominant And the city. What were like, just absolutely enthralled with the baseball in that city. They loved it. I didn't even know the Eagles existed at the time. It's that reality that when you get that much backing, I don't think you can bet on them. I mean, they were the team I didn't think would make the playoffs. And they got past a lot of different things to shut down Wheeler in the last six weeks of the season to make sure he was going to be okay. Caring for the human first, remarkable. And they keep saying we're like a summer ball team, like sixteen-year-old summer ball team chasing girls and playing double headers. That's literally what they're doing every single day. And it's hard to bet against a team like that. It Doesn't matter how good the other team is. That team aspect's important in the playoffs.
1: We'll be right in the middle of the series when you join us next week, man. Always great to have you on. Great perspective. Thank you for the time and uh, look forward to seeing the first pitch tomorrow.
2: Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you guys. God bless.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, there's Michael McHenry, uh, great friend of the show and, and great guest there with all the info. F- follow him on Twitter at the Fort McHenry. A- another great guest is is up next. Armando Salguero of outkick.com. We switch gears. We'll preview the NFL slate of games for Week Eight. That's next. So now, kick three hundred and sixty.
3: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May fifth. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
1: Let's get right to the NFL discussion. Armando Salguero with us on Outkick 360 from... Sixth and Peabody here in Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The backdrop for Armando this week. Indianapolis, where we have the Carson Wentz Bowl, but no one's playing in this one. Ryan, Wentz, they're out. Got the backups in. Armando, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing great. Yeah, I I put that there uh, in honor of... Uh one of our earlier in the day shows, the morning show with
1: (laughs) Dr. Yes, yes. Uh
0: so yeah, because he loves indie uh and the way that indie is covered by the media in indie.
1: Yes, oh and he also loved him some Matt Ryan seven days ago. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not Um, oh Bill Cower recently said that October is is separation month for coaching staffs, the better coaching staffs figure things out after the first month of the season. And October is where you start to show your positioning, so to speak. So as you look at some of these teams, Armando, with three or we can go four wins, but three and four, whatever the record might be, right around 500. And that's the entire league, practically. Uh, I'm thinking about Lafleur, Bowles, Shanahan, McVay. Who are you pointing to as the coach that's going to figure it out in a gray area mess That is the NFL standings right now.
0: Yeah, in that regard, Pete Carroll was a little bit late because – Pete Carroll, sorry. um, You know, Cower was a little bit late because Pete Carroll was a month early. Yeah. He he had, obviously, a good-slash-great draft, and he had – an underwhelming quarterback situation and somehow they have turned that into the best team in the AFC, in the NFC West, who saw that coming and that happened right out of the gate. And I don't think they're going to fall back. I think they may get better because of their young guys. Um, I, I get it. Geno Smith may have a regression to mean eventually, but as long as he doesn't turn into a game wrecker, that team's gonna be okay. And if they play five hundred ball the rest of the way, they're gonna be in the playoffs.
1: I, I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't know if I'm buying LaFleur in Green Bay. Right? Like, I know Rodgers can play, uh, but like, <laughs> Le- LeFleur's got to figure some things out. You know, Rodgers is, I mean, I-, I think we all expect Rodgers to be vocal and he's running things, but for years he complained that he wasn't. And they've not had a losing record at this point since, what, his first year as a starter or something. Um, I, to me, Green Bay's the, that's the organization to me, Armando, that should be. Pivoting to move forward in the standings and be in position by the postseason.
0: I don't like the dynamic. Yeah, for the Packers, I, I it it's icky. Um, in that you mentioned Rodgers is running things. That's not far off. It feels like. I mean, when he's but that's new opening. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he's he's opening press conferences talking about how what players should be saying in the locker room okay he's a leader and what the coaching staff should be doing with the offense yeah simplifying before the coaches get a chance to talk to him about it before anyone else you know says that that's that, that's strange it, that's i don't know of any other situation in the NFL that that happens including tom brady including Matt Stafford, including any of those guys, and yet Aaron Rodgers is out there doing that, and it just feels weird.
4: So who do you think he's most angry with in that organization when he's doing things like mouthing what the bleep are we doing, and it's caught very clearly on TV, and he's talking about simplifying? I'm reading into this, Armando. I can't tell if he's mad that his receivers can't understand what he thinks is a very basic offense, so you need to dumb it down for them, or he's mad at his coaching staff for calling whatever they're calling and then giving it to him that way, or is it a little bit of equal opportunity anger with Aaron Rodgers right now?
3: Certainly seems like he's moved on from the GM.
4: Yes. He has moved on from the yeah. GM. Because That's a positive. The GM is asking his opinion.
1: That's a positive step you know, now. The GM's yeah. admitting that he's asked for the, the trade deadline opinion.
0: Uh, Chad, he should be mad at himself. And I think we've talked about this. Um, It wasn't the coaching staff that told him to stay away the entire offseason after he signed a $50 million a year contract. He decided to do that. He doesn't have Devontae Adams, not because the Green Bay Packers didn't want him anymore or couldn't pay him. They, in fact, did want him to return and could pay him. But Devontae Adams decided he wanted to be elsewhere because he heard and believed Aaron Rodgers when he kept talking about, I'm retiring. And Devontae Adams, according to Devontae Adams, has has said that when I hear the quarterback talking about retirement, I want to go to a situation where the quarterback isn't about to retire. So who's at fault for that if not Aaron Rodgers?
3: All there. In Denver, uh, unusual timing of the ownership change. So outgoing ownership, hires Nathaniel Hackett, makes the Russell Wilson move, which a lot of people would have made. But now there's new ownership, and things have been really ugly in Denver, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. What do we think, uh, as, as Denver is uh, in London now for, uh, for a game what are the indications about what new ownership's thinking about this mess? New ownership, by the way, which is the filthiest, richest, filthiest rich ownership the NFL has ever seen.
0: I don't know how Walmart runs its business as far as getting rid of people or being patient with people. So, you know, those people are basically Walmart heirs. And I would think that whatever culture they had at Walmart will. Mean, be brought over. Having said that, today, George Payton, the general manager, and admittedly, the guy that made all these decisions, Paul, uh, including hiring Nathaniel Hackett, including giving Russell Wilson a $245 million contract before he saw him play for the Broncos, he said that Hackett is here to stay. He said that He's comfortable with the Wilson contract and he's comfortable with Wilson and he doesn't see any changes. That runs counter to the rumors that everybody has been hearing about if they lose in London to the Jacksonville Jaguars, there's going to be change afoot. Hackett may go. Uh, you know, I don't know that what they can do with Wilson because he's going to stay and they, they're they not going to bench him. So. Everything that you hear about them having players on the trade block, about them possibly being sellers at the trade deadline, today, George Payton said that's not the way we're headed. And so who do we believe? Do you believe George Payton or your lying eyes?
1: Armando Salguero, our guest, will preview tonight's matchup on Thursday Night Football Ravens and Bucks. in just a moment, Uh, is – is Robert Quinn's addition in Philly a, a mirror of what Buffalo did by bringing in Von Miller this offseason? Is it the same impact, just on the opposite side of the NFL? No. Uh,
0: Robert Quinn had 18 and a half sacks last year, um, Jonathan, and that that's a lot.
1: That's really good. Second. He's got yeah. one. He's got one yeah. this year. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and one tackle for loss. And so Robert Quinn does not, is, and Von Miller are not congruent under any circumstances. Von Miller has that special elite ability that when the game is needing to be closed for his team, he has a history of being able to be that guy to close it. Robert Quinn is a very good, very solid um, addition for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's going to help because it's an an addition, not because he's an individual. It's more to a team that already was number 10 uh, this year in sacks and in pressures. But because he's Robert Quinn? No, because he's an extra help, an extra body. He's good. He's not a star, I think.
1: No, that, that, that's fair. I mean, I, his numbers last year were undeniable. But to your point, I mean, his numbers this year, if we're going to reflect on last year's numbers this year, have not been close to that. Um, and he also played half the season last year with Khalil Mack uh, on the opposite side, rushing the passer as well. Um, tonight, Buccaneers-Ravens. The Ravens won last week. They get off the schneid, They they have a special teams play that, that helps them. They win 24-20 over Cleveland. Meanwhile... Uh, you've got the Buccaneers who have lost a couple in a row now, and they're looking ahead at 10 days rest going into the trade deadline with a chance to assess where they are. They need help up front. They need help in the run game. They need they need help everywhere, as you wrote this week at OutKick. Um, is this a pivot point for both teams tonight?
0: I'm not sure that it's a pivot point for the Ravens. The Ravens are going to be the Ravens after this game. Uh, like they were before this game, I think uh, you know, there's not going to be something seismic happening in Baltimore if they lose this game. I don't think if something, uh, like a loss, in fact, if a loss happens in Tampa Bay tonight and they have 10 days between now and their next game, and say, for example, their offense is once again, um, you know, uh, 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 ineffective. And once again, I mean, the the idea that Tom Brady has scored three was it three
1: points last week, and uh, they've got one touchdown in two weeks. Yeah, one touchdown in twenty five possessions.
3: Unbelievable. Okay, that's
1: and he, and they have yet to score a touchdown in the first quarter all year.
0: Correct. Who does that? Who's responsible for that? I would say the the guy that's scripting the plays is is responsible for that. And that's where, you know, Bruce Arians is still there and they've got Tom Moore in the background as well. And both of them have have been offensive gurus in the in their time. And so I'm wondering if that might lead to some some adjustment. I don't think they're going to have any firings, but adjustments are are in the in the offing if they lose. And by the way, Tom Brady hasn't lost three games in a row in 20 years. If so, if this happens, this is not a small thing. Sound the alarm.
1: And their defense is not playing like it, like predicted either. That's not the backbone of the team anymore. You know, they're allowing big runs, and that's what Baltimore does well here. And Tampa can't run it. So we'll we'll see where the X factor is tonight. Uh, throughout the the rest of the the big games, though. Um, the Bills, they're back off a of bye. Green Bay's there on Sunday night. It's been a while since we've seen Rogers uh, face a, a, a point spread quite like this, where I think it's 11 or 12. Paul, you said like 12 and a half earlier in the week. Meanwhile, the Bills come off the bye week. They uh, certainly come in healthy with this game, and they've got Josh Allen dealing. The, the, the Packers can be in the same boat as the Buccaneers here as we go into week nine where – They've lost several in a row. Right. And I think that Aaron Rodgers
0: said it when he said, this is a game we might get exposed. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: And he said, maybe this is just what we need. And I'm thinking, man, nobody needs that. It's not.
0: If if that's what you need, (laughs) that's bad need. Okay. That's, that's terrible. The bills are getting better. They're getting healthier. Um, Trev Davis White em- eventually will be uh, starting at cornerback for them, and he is not a good cornerback. He's an elite cornerback, and he hasn't played all year. And now he's practicing and started practicing last week and has been practicing this week. They're going to get better. The only game that they lost this year is a game where the entire secondary was out. <laughs> not yeah, not yeah. two guys not the entire all four guys were out. They brought
4: up the practice squad. They the pull dolphins. them up like, like triple a in that game. Cause everyone was out.
0: It is amazing. And obviously they lost in Miami good on the dolphins, but I don't get the feeling that unless they face that kind of situation, they're not going to be losing to teams like, you know, new England and, and, and the jets and even the dolphins, uh, Barring injuries.
1: How do you think it plays out at quarterback in New England?
0: They're going to be drafting someone um, pretty soon. And I think that what we're seeing from Mac Jones is not um, strange, given what he did last year. I thought what he did last year was strange. I thought that what we're seeing is regression to mean – and with mac jones I, I i i don't have a whole lot of uh, hope that he's going to be elite i didn't have it last year when he was good as a rookie and bailey zappi's a nice story and you know he he has that it about him players light up when he's in the huddle but you know i, I don't know uh, Josh Allen is the quarterback in the AFC East, and I think that if you have a quarterback controversy, and they they obviously have it because uh, Bill Belichick refuses to name a starter, even when Mac Jones is healthy, which is like it should. The answer should be yes, he's the starter if he's healthy. He refuses to say that. Um, I, I'm thinking that. They have two quarterbacks, which means they have
1: none. Yeah, they uh, they're going with Mac again, but for how long? Who knows? You know, maybe the second drive, instead of the third drive, yeah, this right. year, but who knows? Uh, they're they're playing against the Jets, and it's just the second time that Bill Belichick's Patriots will face the Jets in Week Eight or, or or later with a worse record than the Jets. So it's it's unusual, and I believe the Patriots are favored in this game. Which I mean, in recent in recent years, New England's taking care of business with Mac Jones against the Jets. But you know, without Grace Hall, that's probably a, a big factor in this.
0: Let me just say, he might have a good game, okay, Mac Jones, but I'm not judging Mac Jones game to game anymore. I think that we should judge him season to season, and by the end of the season, we will see that he's okay. And that's it and just okay and that's it isn't good enough especially not in the AFC East
1: yesterday armando we we went through all the all the picks all the top first and second round picks that brandon cooks has been traded for on his path to currently houston do you think he's on the move just based on reading coverage across the league and how they're treating him down there uh, where i believe i don't know what happened today but yesterday he was a non-injury uh non-participant in practice for houston and the Rams, Bills, and Packers have been mentioned in the mix for all of these different receivers. Does it come down to Cooks and Odell Beckham Jr. and one of these three teams doesn't end up with a, another piece to their puzzle?
3: Or could Jerry Judy be in the mix? Or Jerry Judy
1: team? as well, yeah. George
0: George Payton would be Said very no. <laughs> angry with you, Paul, if you that you've mentioned Jerry Judy. He's not selling, Paul. Didn't you get done <laughs> hearing
3: him? I'm not buying um,
0: yeah, you're not exactly I'm not buying that he's not selling. Uh, so I I think we need to recognize that Nick Casario was with the New England Patriots when they traded for Brandon Cooks and then traded away Brandon Cooks after he had a thousand yard season and was really good for them, I thought. So to him, Brandon Cooks is a chess piece, and if he can get a third-round pick for Brandon Cooks, he's going to do it. Simple as that. It's simple as that.
1: We may uh, we may put the Bengals in the mix now, but some news from Schefter. Uh, Jamar Chase injured his hip against the Saints. Davey Hudson's telling me he's out at least a month. And he and Burrow were just, just in the middle of hitting their stride off of last year over the last three weeks or so. Um, so he, he did it last week in the game. He's now sidelined. And he's expected to miss four to six weeks, uh, which is going to put him on injured reserve, most likely. That's a that's a huge loss for Cincy as they were really put... It, and I know they spread it around. They had like three 100-yard receivers last week. But Mixon's not running it nearly as effectively as he was last year, Armando. And I wonder if they try to get another piece to take over in the north where right now it's it's for the taking.
0: Right. And... You're saying this, and I'm thinking, do I have to adjust my fantasy team because <laughs> Joe Burrow is my starter? I, I'm thinking about me. Yes,
1: and I'm sure <laughs> everyone listening right fine. now is jumping on at outkick.com slash bet to go check the line right now before it moves, but and maybe it doesn't. But that that's a rapport that few quarterback and receivers have across right. the league, and that's a big adjustment for that offense.
0: True story. So – Joe Burrow was drafted in 2020. Jamar, Jamar was drafted in 2021, the first round. When he was drafted, he got to town. He went to Joe Burrow's house and saw where he lived and then went house to house to all his neighbors, asking them if they would sell him their house because he wanted to live on the same block as Joe Burrow. That speaks to yeah. that chemistry, that cohesion that those two have. That if this report that we're talking about is true, is gonna be lacking from the Bengals offense going forward for a bit.
3: Did he get a house on that block? Do we know? He did. That's awesome. He
0: did. Dude, if if Jamar Chase. If he goes and he knocks on your door and he says, I want to buy your house, and you say I'm not selling, and he goes, I really want to buy your house, there's there's going to be a good reason for you to sell them your house.
4: I, I think it's a good, a good idea just to have that number in your head in case that happens. If someone comes to your house and says, I really want to buy this house, have your number in your oh, mind I and a- to say, all right, it'll be this number. And if they say yes, all right, well we'll get the moving trucks out, we'll get the paperwork done, and I'll be out of here in the next couple of weeks. Armando,
3: I have a number in my head that I use when I get those random real estate companies that call me, but they haven't said yes to it yet.
0: <laughs> well, do you live next to like you know Ryan
4: Tannehill's house or no, something like
3: that? No, I did live uh, around the corner from a good comedian who's well known, but and I don't think anybody close wants to, all to live.
4: the X Titans. I don't. Yeah, I don't think anybody North
3: wants to live next to Nate Bargatze that badly. <laughs>
1: Armando, uh, next Fair. week, can your backdrop please be the, the block where they, where they live?
3: Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. A little Google Map
1: That's back right. there. <laughs> hey, man, uh, enjoy the, the games. Uh, I'm intrigued with the storylines of tonight. Even if it's terrible, you know, it's, it's reality TV at its finest with everything going on with Brady. And then now the Ravens with the same record as the Bengals, the Bengals without Chase. It's a chance to pick up a game here. Thank you, man. We'll be reading your work at OutKick. Thanks. Thank you. Armando Salguero, one of our favorite guests of the week. He's the man. Always crushes it. Great job. More uh, NFL news and notes, trade deadline rumors and reports. That's next on OutKick 360.
3: You ready? Showtime. Showtime.
1: Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Coming up a, uh, a detailed Twitter beef between Chad Withrow and Ricky and West End. One Fight. of the long-time season Fight. ticket holders of of the show. Me and Ricky will have like a year and a half where
4: we have no issues, and we're just very cordial back and forth on Twitter. But you know, what? And then about every 18 months, we have just a draw a line in the sand war it is like different houses this is, uh, on game of thrones going head to head this is exactly when we how we go would when we decide to go
1: to war your your uh, initial relationship with him which was tennessee versus vandy
4: well it was no it was our initial battle was something over pat summit not being considered one of the great coaches in the history of sports
1: because he's a vandy fan
4: well because he's a vandy fan but <laughs> because essentially she you know feasted on Teams that weren't any good right. for oh, years. Okay.
1: And now it's now, you know, 12, 13 years later, we're, we'll find out what it is. Yeah.
4: Well, we've got uh, another battle. We'll, I'll explain.
3: Big uh, shocker, Julio
4: Jones will play tonight.
1: I mean, uh, somehow he gets, gets around the, the GOAT and he's playing more often than he's not. Here's what
3: I'll bet. He won't play ne- there. Brandon next game.
1: Cooks did practice today. He's not on the injury report for Houston. Uh, yesterday he was non injury designated on the injury report, which you have to list if you don't practice. Uh, So, Brandon Cooks in Houston, I'm assuming because he's not listed, Paul, practiced for the Texans. Jerry Judy, Kareem Hunt, the running back in Cleveland, uh, throw in Brandon Cooks there. Antonio Gibson, running back in Washington. Those are players to watch as the trade deadline nears um, uh, on on offense. I'm fascinated to see how many teams part ways with their sixth best offensive lineman, meaning their first dude off the bench. Because... There are multiple tackle injuries right now across the NFL, and depth there is at the utmost importance, and I wouldn't be willing to part ways with a swing tackle right now um, knowing that it can help you as you make a playoff push. For picks, I'm saying. Point being, defensively, Grady Jarrett in Atlanta. Roquan Smith, he wanted to be traded last year. He got emotional yesterday at the podium whenever Robert Quinn was traded and he had to, like, step away and contain his emotions. Good teammate. Um, And Paul, your guy, Jadavian Clowney, also being mentioned on the trade block.
3: Trade for that guy. You have to magically look for his effect on the
1: game. (laughs) Headline's next.